There's an old joke. Um, two elderly women are at a Catskill Mountain resort, <clears throat> and one of them says, boy, the food at this place is really terrible. The other one says, yeah, I know, and such small portions. Well, that's essentially how I feel about life, full of loneliness and misery and suffering and unhappiness, and it's all over much too quickly. The, the other important joke for me is one that's uh, usually attributed to Groucho Marx, but I think it appears originally in Freud's wit and its relation to the unconscious. And it goes like this, I'm paraphrasing. Um, I would never want to belong to any club that would have someone like me for a member. That's the key joke of my adult life in terms of my relationships with women. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Morning. Uh, welcome to the film room. This is kind of a bit of an impromptu episode for us. Yeah, we, we, we've had a couple of subjects that we've been knocking around, but scheduling was keeping us from doing it. Um, one of those subjects actually could have been, to some degree, it actually kind of feeds into what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we, Because uh, we were going to do an episode that was just going to be on, you know, upcoming movies and movies that we'd seen recently. But then I couldn't get to enough movies, and you couldn't get to enough movies, so... Yeah, like, I, I, I recently went on a binge. Last Saturday, I went and saw Get Out, which is fantastic. Everybody see that. It's still... The movie's still fucking with me. Uh, and I went and saw John Wick 2, and then the next day I saw Lego Batman. I was gonna see Split, but time and money kind of prevented me from doing that, so... And Split was going, it kind of feeds into what we're going to be talking about today. Because we're going to be talking about a subject that, and this is another, there were events during the week that also forced my hand on saying we need to finally get this one dealt with. Mm -hmm. Which is, Split is a problematic movie, to say the very least. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. It is an extremely problematic movie. It is a movie that has some very questionable ideas about mental illness. It's also an absolutely fantastic motion picture start to finish with some of the best writing, some of the best direction, and a, a couple of performances that are going to stay with me for a long, long time to come. Split is amazing, and I highly recommend it, but it's got some serious problems, and that's what we're going to be discussing today, is we're finally going to just stop and go all out on the subject of problematic art. And, the, God, there's... There's a couple movies out right now that are dealing with that. Uh, uh, Ghost in the Shell being the biggest one, I think. Oh, I don't, I don't think that one's problematic. I think that one, when I lay out my definitions of problematic art, I'm going to get into to what I think that one falls under, Be because I know the plot, because I know the plot twist. So ah, uh, okay. <laughs> but then, what was the other one you were going to bring up? Uh, it was going to be Suicide Squad. Yeah, that one's got that one probably is closer to problematic. That one is yeah. probably closer to problematic. I, I guess we have to start by saying first of all a huge disclaimer: this cast in and of itself is going to be problematic. Yeah, because we're going to be expressing opinions that maybe aren't the clearest and maybe aren't the most easy for people to grasp. Yeah, you know, in terms of are we on the right side of this issue? I don't know. I think we're probably gonna we're gonna make some mistakes and we're gonna let our biases cloud our our opinion. And here's the thing, though. We learn, just like everybody. Mm -hmm. We learn. We learn. Everybody learns. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> so I want to start by saying that if we're going to acknowledge that art is problematic, we have to get to the core of why art is problematic at its core, mm -hmm. which is people are problematic. Yes. 
I've never met a single person who didn't hold some opinion that troubled me on some level. Yes. That's the nature of being human is you don't, we, we treat it almost as if there's this straight graph that everything has to fall under for which it's like, well, it's all good or it's all bad. And that's impossible. People are fundamentally not all good or not all bad. Of late, it's, it feels like the internet has become a race, though, to try and find what's problematic about everything and throw it under the bus. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Tumblr. <clears throat> Tumblr, yeah. There's become this real sense of if something has one flaw on it... Then all of it's forfeit. Like, the, somebody was... After Don Glover got cast as uh, Linda Carizian in the uh, Han Solo in the Han Solo solo film... So I I saw a big long post on him. It's like, oh well, he this and this and this and this and this and this talks about this and this and this on his Twitter. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to his stand up. Yeah, but like he's probably uh, when it comes to comedians, he's probably one of the less problematic comedians out there. Yeah, a lot of his stuff is really just talking about weird things mm-hmm. and you know geek stuff. Um, and, and and I've I've actually listened to quite a bit of his rap. Um, yeah. Uh, which it should be pointed out for those that have somehow gotten to be unaware of this. You know, he's one of the most acclaimed rappers out there. Yeah, he's a talented guy. Like like it's not even that he's oh he's good for an actor playing in this. I mean, when his last album hit, it was a seismic event with people paying attention. And it's widely felt he'll probably be a power at the Grammys next year. Nice. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but no, that was, but that big long rant, like Tumblr rant was like trying to paint it like it didn't directly say, but it's trying to paint it like, oh, this is a, this is like the worst decision for Lando Calrissian. And it's also, uh, uh, a reason why you shouldn't go see this movie. It's like, what? No. No, no. We're going to get into reasons why you should not see things. There are reasons. Reasons exist. Yes. Now, does Glover say some very offensive things in his uh, rap? Yeah, he does. Does he get at times very lewd and uh, fetishistic about uh, certain topics, especially Asian women? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Glover has issues. He is problematic. I'm not going to deny that he's got that. But, again, people are problematic. That's that's really a core thing that we want to get at here, is people are problematic. Yeah, nobody nobody is perfect. If you, if you look... Nobody is perfect. If you look for, for, for perfection in anything, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be happy. Right. So, I want to start off by establishing that there is a difference to me between when something can and can't be consumed. So let's start off by getting this out of the way. When I'm defining problematic, I'm defining it as something that has merit, but has things that make it questionable. Mm -hmm. It can be someone involved with it. It can be something that's said in it. Some element of it that makes it that you're wrestling with it. That it's, it's something to be wrestled with. For example, I don't consider racist humor on the internet problematic. That's racist. Mm-hmm. There's no value to it in my eyes. I see. So I, I don't consider long posts where someone 
you know, expresses a series of, you know, sexist slurs, that's not problematic. That's just bad. That's bad and dirty and wrong. And it's just, it's bad. I don't consider Daniel Tosh's stand-up problematic. I just consider it awful. Yeah. It's not funny. Yeah, I've never heard his stand-up, but I have seen uh, enough of his TV show to know that I would not enjoy his stand-up at all. Daniel Tosh is responsible for Friday. For the song, or? Well, for mocking, for the big meme that it became. Oh, no. Yeah, Daniel Tosh thought it was funny to mock what was fundamentally just a cute little thing that a uh, teenage girl did. Yeah. Uh, great. And honestly, <laughs> I don't think it's that bad a song. I don't know either. You know what? Here's the thing. I think it only became mimetic because it was fundamentally so catchy. Right. And because Black did does have legitimate personality. If you watch her in interviews, she's fascinating. She's one of those people... Her second act that she's developing as an anti-bullying advocate, Mm -hmm. um, we're not done with her is the thing. We're not done with her. And by the way, irony of irony, she actually developed into quite a talented singer because she put in the time and effort. Yeah, I've heard heard her second uh, song that she actually wrote. She did not write Friday. Yes, that's important. Yeah, it is very important. She did not write Friday. But I actually heard her second song she wrote, and it's actually pretty good. And she does... She's got pipes. She does have pipes, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, so you know, so we want to make this clear. Guys like Daniel Tosh, they're not problematic. They're bad. You, you, you. But you know what? And here's the thing: someone else is going to disagree with me, and that's the fundamental joy of this argument: is that what is problematic and what is to be discarded fundamentally comes down to it's like pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Right. I feel like, so we have to acknowledge, we are walking in the most epic of gray areas here, but but part of what we really want to do today is we want to discuss it, and I think that's the key message that I want to leave on the table, is that problematic art, it's not this idea that we have of, oh, it's problematic, so run away from it, Mm -hmm. is the wrong approach. We have to engage with it, and we have to develop our own standards for okay I can go with this, and I can't. Um, I'm not going to lie. A lot of this uh, cast is going to draw from your essay that you did. You know, I've thought heavily on that. But that's the thing that I really want to stress is that you, you can't just say, okay, it's bad, therefore, it, you know, shun. Right. We, we have to engage with this stuff because we live in a culture that's very binary. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes. Ironically, a system prom, uh, that was... Uh, more or less from what I've read, foisted upon Siskel and Ebert. Um, really? I- ironically. The network? Yeah, it was a producer gimmick. Uh, mm. Ironically, Ebert uh, actually was a master of nuanced opinion in his reviews. That's the grand irony of all this, is we have this binary view of po- of positive negative, and it was foisted upon a man who was an expert at the opposite. Hmm. Yeah, and... If you watch, if you watch their show, then you you have them saying things like, eh, "This gives a very slight thumbs up," mm-hmm. <laughs> or a very yeah, you know, and they always always do that. Uh, it's like, oh, this one gets a huge thumbs up from me. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and sometimes, and look, sometimes there's art that does fall into 
a strong place on the binary. Uh, you know, last week we did Moonlight. Yeah, that one's at the top of the scale <laughs> for me. Yeah. That one could wind up being one of my favorite films, I think, with time. That's how much I love that movie. This, but, but you know, and, and then sometimes you'll have something like The Killing Joke. But even The Killing Joke had things like Tara Strong's performance. So, you know, you have that. And I think that's a good place for us to start uh, going with a Batgirl story because that's kind of something that's been on, that really, you know, stoked me to want to discuss this because, you know, there was the news this week that Joss Whedon is going to write and direct a Batgirl movie. Yeah. Now, on a pure mental level for me, just in terms of a fanboy level, this is fantastic news. Yes. As I stressed in that cast, I am a massive Batgirl fan. I love the character. Uh, it looks like it's going to draw from Gail Simone's run. Oh, good. Which, have you have you read any of that? I haven't, but I am very aware of Gail Simone, and I've seen the Wonder Woman movie, which was written by her. Yeah. And which is fantastic. It's one of my favorite uh, animated uh, DC films. Let, let's be blunt. Gail Simone is a badass ultra warrior and yes. a dream guest for the show, oh. even though she's even though she's not done much in film or TV, she would still be a dream guest. She'd for be amazing, yeah. She's a heroine in my eyes. Um, she is just a titan. I am such a huge fan. Uh, her writing is amazing. And her Batgirl run is incredible. It's it, Her Batgirl run is the run you always wanted the character to get in the modern day. Because she's back. At, it's Barbara Gordon back as Batgirl. And she's you know she's gotten surgery to repair to repair her back because finally someone realized it's the dc universe come on <laughs> we can do shit <laughs> we can do this though that in and of itself i'm going to point out her run even before we get to the movie her run has some issues in that you know it does depict something that isn't possible in reality there is the question of okay well you know is this okay and her being put in the role of Batgirl kind of eliminated several other characters, including a person of color Batgirl, uh, that being uh, uh, Cassandra Kane. Yeah, which, by the way, the Lego Batman movie, uh, Barbara Gordon actually was Latina. Oh boy, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. And played by um, people of uh, Puerto Rican descent at that. Uh, yeah. Hector Elizondo, uh, who played uh, Jim Gordon, is of uh, Puerto Rican uh, descent. As is Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you want to talk about getting it right. There's a great example. They 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 did that, and they made them recognizably Latino at that. I liked that. Yeah. That was a really, really nice touch. And for the record, I was right. It is Cassandra Kane is the character's name. So that character got, you know, shunted to the side a bit, uh, though she was ultimately brought back in Batman Robin Eternal, which is, ah, the Eternal books that DC put out are just amazing. Ugh. Hmm. I could phone about comics for many, many days and not be done. Um, but, but, but getting back to this, um, you know, but you had that there that, you know, that her run was awesome. And now it's being done by Joss Whedon on a pure fanboy level. This is amazing and exciting news. Mm -hmm. This is problematic news though. As many people have pointed out, this is being given to a man, not a woman. Right. Yeah. And it's being given to a man whose work increasingly looks problematic. Yeah. Buffy is increasingly looking problematic. I'm not even, I can't underline this enough. Buffy is hyper problematic. Yeah. How so? 
I would love to get into how so. Uh, first of all, it engages in severe bi erasure. Uh, Willow mm. defines herself as strictly gay, even though her, even though it's really written more as bi. There's the word bisexual is never spoken on the show. It, it, it's treated as a no go. The show has extremely iffy sexual politics. Severe slut shaming goes on. Um, mm. severe slut shaming, especially with Faith. Um, but minor characters get it too. They do kind of start to get better at that, about that late in later seasons, especially when the women writers were taking over. Right. And that you had the very sexually active and the street does a good thing on you. So, you know, it, it wasn't all just one way or another, but you had the fact that the penultimate season of Buffy was just a nightmare with things like Willow's girlfriend getting killed. That was bad. Uh, you had things like, you know, okay, so Willow's girlfriend was getting, was killed because you gotta kill a gay character. Buffy engaged in the horrifyingly abusive relationship with Spike, and then the show tried to brush it off and, uh, yeah. forgive him. This show is super problematic, and Whedon has issues throughout his run, his works. This is not the only one to have that. There are all kinds of issues with Dollhouse, uh, to the point that I've never been a fan of it. There are issues with... There's a certain fetish quality to River on uh, Firefly. Yeah, there is. There is. There's a huge fetish quality to her. Uh, there is There is a lot wrong with Joss Whedon's work. Um, for the record, his tendency to treat his female characters with some iffy behavior, that extends as far as to his Astonishing X-Men run which I love to death. I think it's one of the all-time greatest uh, X-Men runs ever. And that's not just because Whedon wrote it. It's just one of the greatest runs ever, where he depicts the danger room in the X-Men universe as being sentient, and when it chooses to take a form, it chooses a female form. Hmm. That's iffy and weird. He has the idea that uh, at the end of it, Kitty Pride gets shot into space, and it's not established if she'll ever come home. Ah. By the way, it's comics, so you can guess if she does. Of course. Eventually, things are going to turn awesome for Kitty Pride because they often do. That character is just so uh, one of my favorites, mm-hmm. one of my all-time favorite characters. Um, so Whedon has, and then who boy do we even? Where do we even start with Black Widow in uh, Age of Ultron? Though I would point out that, in all fairness, a lot of what people find problematic about that started in the comics. It was just a bad decision to bring it over. So you have that going for it, you know. You have that going, that Whedon has these serious issues. But does that mean that his work should be thrown out? Right. Completely. Because because I could contrast this by saying Whedon made a point to depict strong characters throughout his, his world. His characters were believably flawed. Buffy is a believably flawed and broken human being. Her mother, despite not having any powers, is depicted as one of the strongest women in that world a kind, good person that cares about her, and when she learns everything about her, is supportive and there for her. You have the fact that Willow, flawed as she is, and as icky as it gets, is a strong character. She's someone who learns... I don't know, Willow is tainted by that penultimate season. I don't think there's any character in the show that gets out of that penultimate season okay. Mm. You've got the fact that... um, it's not all slut-shaming. Um, Inara is depicted as a prostitute mm-hmm. and is depicted as a badass. as a, And it's not as a sex-negative view either. 
In fact, yeah. it's a very sex-positive character. Yeah, and she completely uh, calls Mal out whenever uh, he calls her a whore. Yeah. So, you know, and and there has been a nice depiction of such things as, you know, he doesn't leave out women of color. One of the most notable characters in Firefly is a woman of color. Zoe, yes. Zoe. We, we have that going. So, so okay. So when you're left with that on the balance, where do where how am I supposed to feel about this guy taking on this property? And then there's the big issue again that it's a man doing it. Right. Shouldn't this, which is about a female character, be handed off to a woman? That is a that is a principle that I hold very dear and very deep in my heart. For obvious reasons. Uh, but yeah, th- thank God that uh, that they gave Wonder Woman to a woman. Yeah, but then the question becomes: Is was that tokenism? Right. Because they're giving uh, Gotham City sirens to uh, a man who, yeah. oh boy, should not be doing it. David Ayer should not. He did Suicide Squad. Should not be anywhere near this movie. I want to stress that. No. 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 So you have that going there, where it's like, but wait. So you have this. You know, so I'm left with this thing where I love this character and I love this artist, you know, or I love this guy that's making it. I love this filmmaker. But at the same time, is this okay? And if this is okay, why then should I make an exception for that? And I feel like that's the definition of problematic right there. Yeah. If this is something that I believe, it's when our principles are tested. It's when we find something and it's it's good old fashioned cognitive dissonance is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually, what people do when they're stuck in a situation like this is they make excuses to absolve the cognitive dissonance, to delete it. They say, "Well, X, Y, and Z." It's like, "Well, I can explain." Blah 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 blah. Okay, but you've just made an excuse. Right. <laughs> you have just made an excuse. You have made an excuse so you can justify this in your head as to why this and this and this why it's okay. That's not okay. Let, 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 me, let me be clear. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. This is, but, but it's, as I said, it's tricky here because in this situation, how am I supposed to feel? And, and we find that as we go through art. Now, to be clear, do I think that the movie will happen? Hell if I know. Hell if I know. Whedon has been attached to several films that didn't happen. Ironically enough, he was going to be doing Wonder Woman. Yeah. At one point. And I think that could have been interesting. I think that could have been something. As I said, we're stuck in this position here where it's like, how do we feel? So, can I get into my thoughts about Suicide Squad? Yeah, let's. let's Speaking let's of the transition, that. yeah, let's let's pivot to that. It's a, it's a nice transition, uh, but uh, to yeah, David Ayer. Okay, I saw it a few weeks ago, uh, and. Honestly, it's not as terrible as I thought it was going to be. I would imagine not. Yeah, I mean, it's. Have you seen it? I have not. No, I. Okay. I, and I have very little interest in seeing it. To be honest, I don't like the characters very much. It's more that I don't like the characters. Uh, y'all can look up my review on uh, Assault on Arkham, yeah. which is not problematic. I just hated that movie. It's funny you should say that because the characters in uh, Suicide in the Suicide Squad movie are probably the most interesting thing about it. Like the plot is kind of thin, and uh, and it you know about the specially Deadshot's arc is very interesting and very good. Uh, yeah, I forgot which. 
like I forgot what his name was, but the the guy who can set things on fire. Uh, his arc is really good. Um, El Diablo. El Diablo. There you go. Killer Croc doesn't have much to do, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there. So yeah, there are a few focuses in there that make it worthwhile and that make it worth watching. And uh, honestly, the plot's not that bad. It's just thin. Harley, I had major problems with. Yeah, Margot Robbie does her best. She's a good actress. I expect her to at least try. Yeah. And I, you know, um, I just have problems with the depiction. Like, they even, the excuse they make for her new outfit, which I honestly don't have a problem with her new outfit. A lot of people did. Like, they even have an homage to, yeah? Yeah, I've I've always. Daddy's Little Monster, no, I do not like that shirt. But the thing they do in the film, which I think is kind of funny, is they have it established as like her her animated series outfit is in there. Like that's her that's her default outfit. And she even gets it out when they're, you know, all putting on their stuff. Nice. And she like you know, and she's like all excited to have it back. But then she just ends up kind of cannibalizing it and making the outfit that she has. It's like, okay, that's kind of funny. But but anyway, no, but they have the big... Oh, I think the scene that probably illustrates it the best with her, that I just went, no, 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 fuck you, is, uh, you know, they have her backstory, you know, with the Joker as her patient, and, you know, I know that was actually, you know, re- that's actual backstory. Yeah. Uh, but they have it where Joker breaks out, and then they have, like, her... Goon, they have his goons basically like hold her down on a table and he comes up and he's you know that thing in the trailers it's like I'm not gonna kill you I'm just gonna hurt you real bad and he's holding like two two like shock treatment things those things uh, which by the way I've heard that does not hurt <laughs> actually electroshock therapy? yeah no, electroshock. Th- let's all right. Let's pause here because I'm going to yes. point something out because everyone. It. Electroshock therapy can only be applied to people who consent to it. Yes, exactly. And the reason that they go and first of all, the, the actual term for it is electroconvulsive therapy. Right. There's a key word there. Therapy. The reason that they do it and they do use it in the modern day is not because it's a barbaric practice, but because it is an extremely gentle and extremely effective effective process yeah the people that undergo it it's very well liked yeah a lot of people look forward to it it's like ah in fact as someone who suffers from mental illness Mm -hmm. and i i do suffer from it i know that that's a tricky term i do suffer from it i mean that's uh, believe me depression is pretty depression is pretty horrible okay yeah it pretty it falls pretty firmly under that uh pole yes I can imagine that would probably work. It, it 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 is effective. So yeah, you're right. So right then and there, we've got that. Yeah. So that's that's a movie thing, though. More than a you know that what I'm about to say. Um, he says that, and then she's she's staring up at him, and she says, "I can take it." Fuck. That is okay. Let's just call it right now. Harley Quinn is an extremely problematic character at 
best. Mm-hmm. I have vented about this on several pieces that didn't actually get released, but I I was a fan of the characters uh, early two thousands series, which is fantastic. Owing to her popularity, is of course extremely easy to find and trade. Right. You you won't struggle to find it and trade. Um, I recommend reading the first three trades of it. It is fantastic. Yeah. But after that, you start to see the character go off a cliff in terms of her treatment. Yeah, I've heard that she uh, that and as far as comics, like she, it's very hard to find anything that actually treats her. You know, like. She's supposed to be like uh the problem is she, that she's the problem is that she's a villain that's the problem is she is fundamentally a villain she is almost always written as a villain mm-hmm. and they try to make her an anti hero now the solo series that I mentioned more or less makes it a villain protagonist book where she she's an anti hero but she still leans heavily villain. And that's fine. I, I like that depiction. But the current way they're trying to do it, which is they're trying to have it so that she's a hero in the comics. No, this is a villain. This is an omnicidal maniac. And the term maniac is itself crazy or is itself problematic. So, yeah, this uh, it's it's funny that you should um, like that's what I've heard. It's the crux of her character, you know, villain or no, is that she is an abuse survivor. She is at the hands of the Joker. And eventually she does pull away from him and, you know, she, she, uh, she and Poison Ivy have a thing, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. But it's like, this kind of fetishizes that relationship. It really does. And it's like, no. No, no. They are not, they are nobody's idea of a dream couple. Now I know that the, the novelization, which I actually have read because Marvel Wolfman uh, one of my favorite comics writers wrote the novelization, and my library had it, so I took the time to read it. He does in- he does include a lot of scenes that make it very clear this is a very abusive, very disgusting thing. Yes, which I think were actually in the original cut of the film, but I would not be surprised if Wolfman maybe leaned to keep them in there because I don't know. There's one scene where I thought that worked. Uh... Which is the, the if I could spoil it, uh, since you're probably never going to see it. Well, I read the novelization, so there's nothing to spoil. I okay, I know everything at this point. Okay, so okay, there's the one of the villains is or the main villain of the film is of course one of the villains they tried to recruit into Suicide Squad, but it just did not work because she's basically God. Uh, she's a god. So yeah, there's a point where she is trying to kind of hypnotize all of them into kind of doing her will, and but you know she's putting into their heads all the things that they want to have true, basically saying, "Oh, I can make this true." And Harley's head, it's uh, her and the Joker having a normal life, like they both look like people, and they both have a kid, and blah blah blah, and it's like that rings more true because that you know that's kind of like to me because that's kind of a uh that's what she wants but it's completely a hundred percent unattainable you know Mm -hmm. and the scene kind of makes it clear that yeah this is a hundred percent unattainable so if they made another one which they probably will uh Uh, as i said there first of all they're in talks to hire uh mel gibson to direct he's had it offered (sighs) 
Okay, that's not that's not problematic. That's bad. Mm. That's bad. We're yeah. gonna get to directors and artists at a later point in this cast, but I'm just gonna stop right now and say Mel Gibson has lost his mm. right. He's lost his right to ever do anything that I watch, and that's in spite of me heavily admiring some of his earlier work. Yeah. No. No, God, no. Anyway, but if they do do that, and it's not Mel Gibson, and they actually do have somebody who gets a writer to handle Harley right, they could salvage this by making her go, you know what, Joker, fuck you. (laughs) Well, the Gotham City Sirens movie is going to be written and directed by David Ayer, who Uh... wrote and directed Suicide Squad. So I'll uh, let you make the determination as to if that's actually going to be the case. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. We're 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 not in for anything good. Um, but uh, I actually, uh, a side note though, uh, I actually did watch uh, uh, yesterday while I was working on my computer, uh, making it a little more efficient, which worked. Um, yeah. I actually did pull out like while I was looking for like my you know Windows startup disk. Um, I actually did find my copy of Son of Batman that I rented and never watched. Um, and, and I finally watched it. It's not bad. That one's pre- that one's pretty damn good. That one's pretty damn good. Uh, yeah. Joe R. Lansdale uh, did the script. Uh, the guy that did Bubba Hotap. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's based. It's I I I dug it. I think that the next two movies in the trilogy are better. Mm-hmm. But oh, I think it's good. There's a trilogy for that? Yeah, because that leads into Batman versus Robin, and that leads into Batman Bad Blood. Nice. Okay. I'll just stick with honestly, that. I think, honestly, I think all three of those form a pretty damn good trilogy. And a good afternoon, if you want to, you know, because they're only 78 minutes apiece. Right. Not a bad afternoon if you want to just have like a marathon. I mean, because they all together form one epic long movie. Uh, yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, but uh, but no, the reason I bring that up is because uh, it had a preview for the animated Suicide Squad movie that you mentioned, the one that you hate. Uh, yeah. And that that has a scene in there, in the trailer, where uh, they walk by, like they're in Arkham Asylum, they walk by, and you hear Joker's voice say, are you just going to walk by without saying hi? And then Harley just straight up tries to shoot him. Okay, that's a complete. I'm I'm gonna spoil it. That is a complete trailer lying to you. Uh, really? Oh. In reality, everything she's doing in the movie is to try and get him freed. Fuck. Okay, never mind. Oh my, <laughs> that movie. Okay, again, we talk about the line between problematic and bad. In my opinion, that one's just all the way straight over in bad territory. Ugh. Um. At one point, Harley has sex with Deadshot. Just to try and get him, just to try and get him on her side to help him, her free the Joker. It is Ew. this movie is gross and bad and wrong. Well, <laughs> yeah, don't watch it. Don't watch it. That's that's my thoughts. Um, watch the other two that I uh, mentioned. Those two are awesome. Um, yes. But anyway, so okay, so we're talking about you brought up mental illness. As I said, that makes me want to talk about M Night Shyamalan's use of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Because I just want to jump a little bit, you know, the idea of abuse survivors, that is, as I said, that's something about Split that is problematic. The main character, the main two characters in Split are both survivors of abuse. Hmm. 
one of them, it manifested as multiple personalities disorder, mm. which is in and of itself unbelievably problematic. And the movie does not the movie doesn't do a very good job of handling that necessarily. And then the thing is, this is worth noting in light of the fact that Shyamalan's last movie. Major spoilers on for those that have not seen The Visit. Mm -hmm. And we'll note this on the cast. If you haven't seen The Visit, first of all, you should have by now. But secondly, turns out that the uh, people in that were mentally ill. Yeah, they had, like, dementia. Dementia. That's two consecutive... That's two consecutive uses of this in his movies. Let me tell you, I have somebody uh, in my family, I won't mention uh, names, no. but uh, who does have dementia, and uh, as far as I can see, it does not work like that. It does not turn you into a murderous psychopath. Well, admittedly, the, the characters in that movie were established as being murderous psychopaths for true. decades. True, yeah. true, true. I don't know, I... Uh, yeah, but but you're left with that there. Um, Still, uh, that precludes that dementia could have been left out entirely. Yeah, that's an idea that could have been left out yeah. entirely. And even saying murderous psychopaths is me using some ableist language. Right, right. That's the tricky thing about this. Um, so you have that, that Shyamalan doesn't seem to really know. He seems to really be into this. Um He's also had a disabled character as a villain in one of his movies. And that's so there's a spoiler for Unbreakable, but it's been 17 years. Yeah, it's been 17 years. You should know already that Samuel L. Jackson's character, who is in a wheelchair for much of the movie, is in fact the villain. Have you seen Unbreakable? Me? Yeah. I own Unbreakable. Oh, so there you go. Good taste. <laughs> Good taste. Uh, but anyway, so Shyamalan has issues with it. But at the same time, that's balanced out with him also depicting psychiatry in a light that you almost never see. Because, yes, he's done that. He's also had psychiatrists as two of his major characters in his films. In The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis's character was a psychiatrist. Uh, and I may be getting psychiatrist, psychologist confused. But therapist. He's had therapists. I think the big, uh, uh, the big difference is psychiatrists can actually prescribe medicine. Yeah. The point is, he's depicted psychological doctors twice in his movies, because then there's, and there's also a uh, therapist in Split who is depicted as extremely competent, extremely good at her job, and extremely decent and kind and caring. These are not, this is not how Hollywood usually depicts therapists. Right. So it's a tricky situation here where it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this is being handled poorly, but this is actually being handled right. Yeah, like, every the, the way the therapist is depicted in Split is just a perfect evocation of what my therapists have been like. Uh, Shaman's wife is a former therapist, actually. Well, there you go. And so he writes it so well. And I think that's kind of getting at the definition of what problematic is to me. Again, is it's when it's it's when there's something so good and something so bad at the same time. There's something where you could take away and, like, uh, you can go, hmm, I like this, but there's that one thing. And it's not a spoiler to say that the ultimate hero of Split is established as having had severe abuse issues herself. And the movie gets to the idea that does our abuse make us stronger to some degree? Does enduring it 
bring out in us strength. And that's a powerful idea. And that's not a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. No. That's a good idea. I mean, as I said, I, I gave Split a five out of five on Letterboxd. I stand by that. The more I think about that movie, the more I think it's brilliant. But again, it's tricky. Now, you said you had some examples. I want to hear what a couple of your examples that you have of problematic art are. Well, I've mentioned uh, my big one is Watchmen. Let's get into Watchmen. I want to hear why you think it's problematic. Because I'm not because I doubt you, but because of, in fact I actually think I'm going to know exactly what you're going to be talking about. But I want to hear there, you say it. There are scenes that drive me up the wall, like this the big sex scene that's set to Hallelujah. Um, that's not like, problematic to me. That's just awkward. It is awkward. Um, that's just badly done. It is badly done. Uh, a lot of a lot of what's problematic has to do with what's already in the comic. Like, you know... Of course Alan Moore is going to give yeah. us this material. Like the rape scene, the attempted rape scene, I should say. And then later her later in life, uh, her going, oh, well, you know, uh, he's not as bad as all that. It's like he tried to rape you. Yeah, in, rea- in reality... This just wouldn't happen. No. And I know this is a movie that, you know, saying in reality is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But no, it wouldn't have happened. No. Alan frickin' Moore, man. Yeah, he he's responsible for a lot of really good comics. Like, V for Vendetta, I really like. Uh, it's yeah. really good. I think it's solid. I've never read the comic. Oh, then more would then more would gut you like a cart for saying that. Even though I've heard the movie's pretty good in the comic. Uh, really? <laughs> Watch Watchmen. I've definitely seen and read. I have. I own the comic. I've seen the movie multiple times. I do think the movie is fantastic. But yeah, it has that. It has the fact that so much of Rorschach's issues are because his mother was a prostitute and uh, violent. Yeah, it's like that. Not that's not. It's this. No. 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 Yeah, I mean, so there's that. It's problematic as fuck. But just. The th- and really, it's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of a depressing watch slash read, just because uh, it has a happy ending ish. Ish, <laughs> like it's we don't know, we don't yeah, know. It's kind of it's all it's a little it's a little unambiguous, like what's going to happen after, like you know. With, well, that's the whole point of it is that yeah. you don't know. Yeah, I, I everything I was gonna say about Watchmen, you nailed. Yeah, yeah, but it's. But yeah, that's one. Uh, I don't have to look at some of the other things I own. Well, then I can. I'll I'll throw one out while you're doing while you're looking that up. Um, I gotta look at, and it's actually gonna be two because I'm gonna put these two together, even though they're actually kind of separate examples. All right, Lost in Translation is one of my three favorite movies of all time. Can we agree that its view of Japan is kind of disgusting? Yeah, it is basically every bad tourist image of Japan. It's icky. It's gross and some people say they didn't find it that bad me i found it um, like it was dwelling too much on the sex clubs and the sex manga Mm. and the you know some of that stuff i can't be too mad about the depiction of the tv show at the end of the movie because that's not inaccurate that's real yeah yeah that was a real tv show after all yeah you know and, and there are some things that i think are more balanced like the scene with the director is pretty much how that would actually play out so you have that, and the movie does depict the beauty of Japan. But even that, it's very tourist. The thing is, that's maybe what the movie was trying to get at. Right. D- 
did we need to go to the sex clubs? Did we need the rape manga? Did we mm. need any of that? I don't know. And that yeah. bothers me. Yeah. It's still a masterpiece. It's still one of my favorite films. I don't know whether it falls under problematic, but uh, the new Hobbit movies. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, I don't know. The 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 forced love triangle was forced pretty bad. love triangle was pretty bad. Yeah, I thought of one that relates very directly to Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. and I think this is a beautiful example of why it gets so tricky. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ghost in the Shell is a whitewashed version of a manga. Now, apparently, it's not a very good movie. Apparently, it's not very good. You know what else was a whitewashed version of a manga? Uh, Speed Racer. Speed Racer. Let's. Let's acknowledge that we make a real mistake letting Speed Racer off the hook. Yeah. We're letting this off the hook, too. If we can't let this off the hook. We can't let Speed Racer slide by. Now, Speed Racer is amazing. It, it is, is incredible. It is. I love it more than even when we recorded on it. And I was kind of foaming at the mouth. The more that it sits with me, the more that I'm like, this is the most joyous, happy movie I've ever seen. And to its credit... uh it does have uh, a multicultural cast, but as side characters. As side characters. We can't let the movie off the hook for this. Now, is it beneficial that they cast John Goodman um, in his role? Yeah. Yes. It makes the movie way better that Goodman is in it. But that doesn't let the movie off the hook. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we should... Just because I liked this doesn't mean that I get to let that slide. It's not a pass. Yeah. One of, one of the big things that I, uh, arguments that I heard, and I think it's a good one, you know, when people try to excuse Ghost in the Shell, and I've, you know, I, I read, uh, our good friend Sean's rants on this, mm-hmm. and, you know, someone tried to, tried to tell him, hey, well, it's an American version of it. And it's like, he's like, Asian Americans don't exist. I know. And more to the point, they didn't make it American enough. No. It's still set in Japan. I've seen the trailer. It's like, yeah, it's still it's still in that setting, and it still, like, has, uh, you know, a lot of Japanese, a lot of the Japanese stuff in there. It's not, like, why did you cast Scarlett Johansson? Oh, oh, okay. We're going to put full spoilers on, because I don't know if you know the plot twist. I don't know the plot twist, so go ahead. I'm not going to see it. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. The brain that was put in her in that robot body? Oh no. Uh-huh. Is Asian? You're ahead of it's a Japanese woman. Oh fuck. Oh, Let's be clear. No. That's not problematic. That's awful. That's terrible. There is no excuse for that. God. It's and it's not as if I can't name Two actresses right off the top of my head that could have played this part and been amazing. Oh okay, I can I can name two actresses right now. Uh, Rila Fukushima from uh, The Wolverine, who was awesome in that. Yes. Who kicked ass, was an amazing action heroine in that. If you want to talk about an awesome Japanese movie that deals with material rights... Okay, you want to talk about a movie that takes an American, goes to Japan, and then actually, because James Mangold gives a shit? There, there is a movie. Yes, it's about an American that goes over to Japan. Okay, a Canadian that goes over to Japan. Yes, yes. A Westerner. Here's the thing. 
Hugh Jackman is just about the only white person in that entire cast. Yeah. Everybody else is Japanese. Oh, that movie is awesome. Um, side note, we're eventually going to be covering Logan when you get to see it, okay? Yes. Logan is Dark Knight level. But that's just it. There's a good one. There's a good example of this being done right. So she could have been amazing. Then you've got the one that everyone has gone to for good reason. Why was Rinko Kikuchi not the first choice for oh, this part? yeah, that's right. Oh Number one, she's already headlined an Asian set action movie in America when she did Pacific Rim. Yes. A, a movie that, by the way, had an international cast. Yeah, because that was great. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. No, I, I will defend... Uh... Pacific Rim to the ends of the earth as being a fantastic movie. I'm not as big of a fan, but that's probably largely due to Charlie Hunnam being an absolute plank of wood. <laughs> if you ask me, the problem with that movie is he's unbearably dull and boring, and they put him next to a fountain of charisma. <laughs> Do not give him scenes with Idris Elba. You're only going to make it worse. Also, from what I've heard, apparently, uh, apparently Hunnam's kind of a shit. Really? Yeah, let's just say that a director that worked with him has said some not nice things about him. Strongly implied. <laughs> so, okay, so here's the thing. And the thing is, I've seen her do amazing work in stuff like The Brothers Bloom. She is incredible. Oh, yeah. I, d I did oh. not know that was her. Yeah, and that's a performance where she doesn't say very much, but she conveys this rich, hysterical character. She gets... She gets uh, one of the two uh, fucks that are in the movie, which I think is great. <laughs> it, oh, God. You know, when I think about how Ryan Johnson directs women, mm -hmm. I get real excited about the next Star Wars movie. Yeah. Because the performances that he got out of that cast, uh, not, just, not just her, but Rachel Weisz was just... She did something I've never seen her do, which was be extremely comedic and goofy and silly. And I didn't even know she had that in her arsenal. I'm sad we haven't gotten more of that. But, yeah, that's such a good movie. That's such a good movie. But you see my point. He's a pretty fantastic guy, personally, too. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, however, that all said, let's be clear. Ghost in the Shell, all of this terrible ideas, and making it bankable, what did they get in return? A $19 million opening weekend. That's half of what Power Rangers did without any recognizable names in the cast, aside from the villain and uh, supporting character who only shows up as a face. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what bankability supposedly got them. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. We've talked about movies that have problems. Let's talk about the question of artists. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I believe I mentioned Woody Allen. Woody Allen... Here's the here's how I feel about Woody Allen at this point. I noted this on the Oscar cast, but I'm going to go through it again. Woody Allen has made some certifiable great films, some genuine classics of cinema. Yeah, Annie, Annie Hall is an eternal classic, even if I'm never going to watch it again. The one that hurts me the most, as you know, went as far as my personal policy of never watching his movies again, is Purple Rose of Cairo. Purple Rose of Cairo is so wonderful and <sighs> so joyous. And I hate that we're losing that one. Hannah and her sisters is this bizarre fluke where this man who is so profoundly misogynistic in his writing accidentally wrote a really beautiful movie about women. 
And he's written a few, actually. He's actually written a few extremely good movies centered around women. How can a guy with that soul write something like that? You know, it's kind of the question about how did Aaron Sorkin write the opening scene for The Social Network, where he basically throws this long rant about everything that's wrong with men like Aaron Sorkin, basically. (laughs) Yeah. But with Alan, not, you know, with Alan, I think it becomes a tricky case because not only do you have to weigh what's been alleged of him, you have to weigh what we know, which is he definitely seduced his girlfriend's adopted daughter. Yes, he did. We know that. That's that's, that's hard record. That's a joke that uh, uh, the critic, which is sitting on my shelf, really pummels him for. I love the critic to death, but can we agree that it's not aged all that well? It has not aged at all. Uh, well, no, I mean, it has not aged well at all, I should say. It really, it's so dependent on its of-the-moment pop cultural references. Which is why I think we should get a revival. <laughs> Which is why I think we need a revival. We need a revival in the age of the cinema snob is what we need. But then again, I stop and I wonder, is that not what Jones is doing? True. <laughs> I kind of think that's what he's doing. Um, I, so here's the thing about Alan. I don't think he's a hard case for me because I think that what makes him troubling is in his art. It is in that rampant misogyny that runs through his work. Mm-hmm. And I can't ignore it. I can't overlook it. I, I, I can't wipe it out. It's there, and it's part of him. And that's a pr- again, that's that's the definition of a problem. <sighs> then, I, but then you get into cases where it's trickier. I love the X Men movies, but is it right for me to make to overlook the fact that Brian Singer has some pretty bad allegations against him? Does he really? He does. He does. Ooh. He has some really iffy allegations none of which have been proven in a court of law. And I'm not going to say that I right. even, you know, there's smoke, there's smoke around him. Right. That gets tricky. You have filmmakers like Matthew Vaughn, who definitely has some iffy stuff with women in his movies, but who makes movies that I do enjoy. Um, I look forward to the next Kingsman movie, even if there is a massive, massive spoiler on the poster. Oh no. Oh my god. Uh, there's a big one that we're ignoring. Uh, let's, let's not ignore it then. Yeah, and I have to and I have to call myself out for this for just ignoring it for so long. Quentin Tarantino. We've got to acknowledge that Quentin Tarantino has some seriously iffy ideas going through his stuff. Yeah. I mean I love I do love Jango Unchained, I do love Hateful Eight, I do love Death Proof. But he has weird like he has some weird issues with race and women he does he does it's funny because he alternately writes them really well and really interestingly he does and really really fetishizes them yes he does really fetishizes them and that's the problem that's the problem i think it's that it's a form of admiration that has reduced itself down to fetishization if you ever watched some of his interviews, like, there are things where he tries to, like, talk black, and it's like, what are no, you, why? You are super white, man. No, like, if, <laughs> the th- I think a film that underlines, I'm not going to get into spoilers, I am not going to get into spoilers for this one, no. but get out. Uh, 
Yeah. Get Out really underlines people like him. Mm-hmm. People who admire black people so much. Right. That it winds up doubling back and getting creepy. Getting kind of really fucking, yeah, creepy and weird and just, no. I think Tarantino totally has that. And I, and it's frustrating because I don't think... He is a really good filmmaker, and I will, you know, I will continue to watch his films and really enjoy them, but just gotta acknowledge... He has issues. Yeah, that this is really kind of borderline... Ew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't blame Spike Lee for having issues with him. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee should be careful because, oh boy, he does not want people talking about his issues. <laughs> <coughs> Women. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> oh boy, gays. Oh my god, his issues were there. But, yeah, Tarantino, as much as I love him, as much as I think he's one of our all-time greats, it's iffy. Um, You know, as I said, in fact, I think it's better that we focus on these examples. Examples like Tarantino and Whedon, where you love the art, because there's really nothing to be said about a case like Roman Polanski. He's a no, rapist. No, no. I, 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 there was a period where I kind of struggled whether I should get into his films. I, I even watched no. two of them, but ultimately I was just like, you know what? Fuck him. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's frustrating that you'll have these artists who do have this, you know, issues with women seem to be like penetrating so many artists whose work I admire. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think. Sadly, um, this is not excusing them at all, but uh, sadly, I think uh, a lot of it's cultural, too. I think, I think it is. I think a lot of it is cultural. I think a lot of it is the fact that we have a culture that denigrates women to such a severe degree that we don't... This is why we need more women making movies. This is why we need, this is why we need more authentic voices behind the scenes. Yeah, I saw an article recently that was like, uh, so, I, somebody said something about why, oh, right, it was why, uh, Ms. Marvel, I forgot, uh-huh. like, it's, like, their comic failed, and, like, the excuse that they put out was, oh, because people don't, because it turns out people don't want to see more women and more diversity in comics, it's like, that's bullshit. Oh, man, I'm glad you gave me the, you gave me this entry. First of Please. all, let's be clear that... Rip. Ms. Marvel outsells Captain Marvel. First of all, let's be that Ms. Marvel is in no danger of cancellation. It is one of Marvel's most reliable sellers. It sells gangbusters in trade. I know people that have read it in trade, um, which is how I read it, who have switched over to uh, single issues because they love it that much and they don't want to wait. Um, digitally, it is one of Marvel's biggest selling titles. It is a monster of a book. There is no danger of that one being canceled. But you know what? We're getting a Captain Marvel movie before we're getting a Ms. Marvel movie. And Captain Marvel far undersells her. Hmm. Why is she getting a movie first? White woman. Right. As for that comment that diversity is what's killing Marvel, I'm going to go completely off topic here, and and we're just going to do a two-minute rant where I can explain exactly what's killing Marvel. Do it. Okay, y'all. Here's what's killing you. Because I'm speaking as someone who has stopped reading monthly comics, in part because of Lola, but in part because of, of this. Okay, Marvel, here's what you all did. Number one, you ran event book into event book into event book into the ground. Why do you think Event Horizon exists as a column? And by the way, I'm going to get a new one up uh, for Tuesday. 
so why do you think that it's because I'm trying to call out Marvel on their constant event addiction? DC, just by contrast, only does one every two to three years. They make it an event. They might do one annually when it's within a family of books, but they don't have an event going every single goddamn week. That's what Marvel does. That's called that's um, called oversaturation. Also, you reboot your books every ten months. There were books that had two issue number ones within the same year at Marvel. Do you think that's good business practices? No, it's not. Secondly, you release 30 new books at a time. Mm-hmm. No, there's no way that anybody's going to read them. Also, you don't go with books that are actually going to sell potentially. Do you think anybody is going to read these umpteen books that are released that deal with characters that are like, you know, no one cares about them? But you release 30 new books at a time. Of course people don't buy them. There's nothing – they don't know what matters. That means that a book like Vision, which is fantastic, gets swept under the rug until trade because people don't know that it means anything. Now, Vision was always planned as a limited series, I want to point out. Uh, it was always written as a 10-issue uh, – 10, 12-issue limited series. And it's when it's all collected in one hardcover, I'm going to demand that you read it. It's amazing. But no – that's what Mar- that's what's killing Marvel's business model is event fatigue, constant you know churning of new characters, and you know what? This whole Captain America is a Nazi thing. Okay, I want to point something out. You know why I think Chris Evans is so popular on Twitter? Because <laughs> he fights Nazis. Because Chris Evans has done more to fight the Klan lately than Captain America. Hmm. The guy that wears a silly costume on screen has done a better job of, of exemplifying the character. This is the worst idea for a story. And if you had an editor that had actually paid attention to what people like about the character, mm-hmm. because what people like about the character is that he represents what America can be. And look around. We kind of need a symbol of hope. And you're doing this. No one wants to read this book. And I realize they couldn't have known in the planning the tone that this country was going to take. But you know what? They should have known. So there we go. That's my thoughts on that, is this whole Secret Empire event, which I will not even read in trade, let me be clear. Mm-hmm. And I even read Civil War II eventually and liked it, actually. I liked it. I liked it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get around to writing on it before too long. Um, I liked it. I liked it. But that's just it. Diversity is not the issue. Treating your readers like garbage is the issue. By the way, does anybody want to read stories where Peter Parker is a billionaire? Because <laughs> that's the current status quo. Peter Parker is a billionaire. That says it all, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Can't wait for Homecoming, though. Oh, my God, I can't wait for Homecoming. Did, oh, have you heard... Uh, do you know if there's any truth to the news that after Homecoming, Spider-Man is going right back to Sony? Well, Spider-Man is at Sony. Right. They're... they're rel- no, there's no truth to that. They have, okay. in fact, it's true that they have the character for at least three more MCU films. Okay. No, what's going to wind up happening is, if anything, he's firm with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. Sony doesn't want. All right, Sony is looking at still trying to do these independent movies because they're they've got a date for the Venom movie. Mm-hmm. Venom could work without Spider-Man. Could work. I can come up with a way Venom could work. But 
I don't know. But other than that, and there are some other characters that they have the auxiliary rights to that could work. But no, Spider-Man is firmly with Marvel now in terms of using the character. Good, good. And good, good. because Tom Holland is so good in the part. So we've gotten wildly off topic, and that's kind of the fun of this cast. Um, I don't know. Getting back, though, to the topic of directors that we, you know, filmmakers that we like, but that we have issues with. You know, comedy, I think, falls into this big time, uh, where something can be funny, but also very offensive. And because so much of comedy is trying to offend, you have cases like Louis C.K. is a pretty bad person from everything I've read. Mm -hmm. I've read he's a pretty loathsome sexual harasser. Mm. Now, this is, again, I'm not trying to slander anybody. This is what I've read. He doesn't have a good reputation. And he has some iffy material. Right. He has some material that's very iffy, but I also think he has some brilliant material. Where do I fall there? Where do you fall in a situation like that? Um, yeah. It's hard to find a comedian that doesn't have some problematic material. Even Aziz Ansari has jokes about child molestation. He does, yeah. Good ones, I'm going to point out. Very good <laughs> ones, actually, which is amazing to say. But that's just it. It's hard. I mean, there are some cases where it pushes too far, and I can't take it. Amy Schumer is disgusting. I can't take her constant racism in her material. Ugh. Oh, ha, ha, black guys. That's that's a that's not a good joke. No, that's not good. Um, I can't stand a lo lot of female comedians for that reason that they lean so much on shock value. I'm talking about people like Chuck. Chelsea Handler and her ilk. Yeah, I I tried to listen to, because uh, I hadn't like I had heard her name around before, but I hadn't uh, actually heard her stand up. I tried to listen to Lisa Lampanelli, and I just, I got I got like what five minutes in. I'm just like I don't think I can take this. I'm trying to think of who I listened to that I was just like I'm I got ten minutes in and it was like I can't do this. Yeah, and I hate that. Now there are women that that. Are, that are comedians that are fantastic. Um, yeah. um, um, Maria um, Bamford is Maria Bamford. Yeah. yeah is fantastic. Forever amazing. Got to give love to Leslie Jones, who is filthy yes. and raunchy and fantastic. She is great. Ma mad love to Leslie Jones. And also just an awesome person, just an awesome person. I, I want to take this moment to, uh, call out somebody who is, who's, uh, well, not call out. That sounds like, that sounds like it's a bad thing. I highly recommend their stand up. A shout out, yes. Um, uh, Mike Birbiglia. Oh, uh, I love Mike Birbiglia. He's yeah. Mike Birbiglia is great. Um, yeah, t t two albums in particular are just really sublime because they're you know a lot of stand ups go from topic to topic to topic. Both of these albums are just one piece. They are one big story that yeah. bounce around. Uh, Sleepwalk with me, and. Uh, which is a great, actually, thing about seeking seeking help when you have a problem. Mm -hmm. It that's that's a that's a really good one. Oh, it's really good. It that actually uh, that album is uh, I won't say solely responsible, but it's partly responsible for me uh, seeing a doctor about my blood pressure again. Which yeah, yeah, great. Um, but uh, yeah, and the other one is my girlfriend's boyfriend. <laughs> Which I, that's another really good one. Um, you know, I want to point out, I don't know that it's completely non-problematic, but I, I do think that Jim Gaffigan really goes out of his way to be clean 
and to be family friendly. And the thing is, he's hysterical. Yeah. He's fall down on the floor hysterical and so lovable and likable, too. And then I found out a detail about Jim Gaffigan's backstory that makes perfect sense. Uh-huh. Do you know who his creative partner is on like his show that he just did for TV Land and very much his right hand uh, in his work? His wife? His wife. Hmm. Who he talks about nonstop in his work, so not that shocking. Right. But but he has a really strong partnership with her, and I just I just think Jim Gaffigan is awesome. I just think he's funny as can be. Um, and then one other example that, of course, gets brought up a lot when people talk about problematic comedy because he's addressed it head-on as Paul F. Tompkins. Yes. Yes, I, I love Paul F. Tompkins. We're going to link to his discussion. We're going to link to his discussion on this. Mm-hmm. I love Paul F. Tompkins. I, his, I, I, uh, his album, another another list of uh, comedy albums I just think are sublime and show what stand-up comedy can be uh, is... Uh, Laboring under delusions. Mm-hmm. Freak Wharf yeah. is amazing. It is great, yeah. <laughs> he, I, I, I love the guy to death. I think he's an exceptional talent. I think, I don't think, I don't think he gets enough credit too for what a good, I don't think he gets enough credit too for what a good actor he is. Um, like he's a very good serious actor. Um, he, you know, he's he's in a very tiny. I think I don't even think he speaks in uh, There Will Be Blood, but he's in that. Yeah, uh, he. He speaks, but he's, because uh, I did watch There Will Be Blood after I listened to that set. He speaks, but it's, like, from a distance. Mm. The reason he's in there is because Paul Thomas Anderson's a huge fan. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that's awesome. Uh, and then, uh, and then he, of course, I've got to talk about his work on BoJack Horseman, where he plays a character who shows that just because you seem not that bright doesn't mean you are. He's a really smart, good. He he plays a character who's genuinely a decent person, and who is genuinely a good guy. Um, fittingly enough, his brother is played by an, a, a comedian who also gives a shockingly serious performance in that episode. Yeah, uh, Weird Al Yankovic. That's right. That's right. Who bringing this back around? Boy, <laughs> I cannot wait for you to see Batman versus Robin because, oh boy, it's it's really that's really. F- funny actually i did not uh uh oh yeah i think you told me about that but i did not make this connection until now that uh they play brothers in that him and weird Al play brothers in uh that show because there is a thing in that album where he tells a story about weird Al filming a thing next door like a vh1 thing mm-hmm. and uh like he goes over to try and mess with him and Al's like just kind of taking it seriously, like, You gotta keep it down Like talking about hamming up and then and then he realizes he's like messing with him because oh we're good friends, blah blah and then it's like, Oh wait, I have never met Weird Al in my life <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've slandered so many people today, it's high time I did the opposite. Uh uh-huh. I've never read anything less than the one most wonderful stories about uh, Weird Al. Just the best. Everybody loves him. Yeah. Everybody who's ever worked with him has said that he, they've said that he will remember you years later, that he is just the nicest guy. Apparently he's a super devoted father. Uh, oh, and of course he's a comic genius on top of all that, because my God, his last album was so good. Yes, oh, it was. I can't wait until... It's it's uh it's been three years. It's almost time for another one. It's almost time. And uh, 
But yeah, I I will say one one person that I've gotten away from mm-hmm. uh, is um, I can't think of his name right now, but Starburns on Community. Oh, uh, do you know Stamatopoulos? Yeah, it turns out he's kind of a horrible person. Yeah, like I had him I had him as a friend on Facebook, uh, and. What ended that was he just started slandering Weird Al for vague reasons. He's like, oh, the Mm. things I know about him. And he's not giving any sort of, like, he's like, oh, I can't tell you that because blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, then... Then don't count. Shut up. Yeah, shut up then. And I just, I got on him for that. And he's like, oh, you're fucking stupid for, like, he flat out called me stupid for liking Weird Al. And it's like, you know what? You've lost a fan. Goodbye. Yeah. You're a horrible person. But yeah, the thing about that that really made me uh, go no is, you know, he was doing this to Weird Al. Yeah, who I've yeah. heard, you know, that'd be fine if, like, it had some grain of truth, but I've never heard anything that... I've never heard. No. And I hear, obviously, I hear the worst, but I don't know. But I guess the central question that you have to come to is, is it okay to like problematic art? Of of course. We didn't get into the idea of do we watch things with actors. I it's tricky. It's that tricky. is very tricky because. Uh, but I, I think that I, I want I want to Johnny Depp is in everything. I want to watch movies that have Johnny Depp in them, but I can't anymore. Uh, yeah, I can't. I I think what it comes down to is with actors. It's like. I don't know that I, I think it has to come down to a case by case basis and it, you have to decide, are you OK with living with the fact that you may have to indulge someone who isn't you, you have to support someone who isn't it's not OK. There's nothing easy about this. There's nothing easy about any of these questions. I think that's just how it has to be is there's nothing easy about this. I think what we need to do with problematic art, and this is my central thesis, is we need to stop acting as though. So uh, one more thing that I will say, uh, here's a great example. Uh, I have a, I have a framed picture, framed signed picture of Tommy Wiseau hanging up on my wall right now. Yeah. As well as, you know, a signed copy of his script. I'm thrilled to have those, but, you know, after reading The Disaster Artist, uh... Oh, he's horrible. Yeah, Tommy Wiseau is kind of a problematic person. I think that if you didn't know that from watching The Room, though... Mm Mm-hmm, that's true. Come on. That's true. If you couldn't tell that from watching The Room, you weren't very observant. But I don't know. My central thought, my final thought ultimately on this subject is this. Mm-hmm. There are no good answers. There are no good answers for how to indulge with this stuff. And I feel like it ultimately has to come down to the person. And it, I think the thing that we have to do is before we can do anything else, we have to acknowledge that we are problematic ourselves. We as people are problematic. We as people are going to express opinions that are wrong and bad and don't make people happy because we're people, because we're human. There's nothing good or easy that can come of any of this, but we have to acknowledge it all the same. I don't know. As I said, there can't be easy answers to any of this. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. As I said, I think that we have to live with the cognitive dissonance to some degree when it comes time to problematic art. Yeah. It's out there, it exists, but that's okay. Yeah. Ultimately, what it comes down to is we just have to call them out as we see them. And hope for the best. We must always be vigilant, we must yes. always be up on it. 
Yes. It's uh, just to, to quote Mad-Eye Moody, uh, constant vigilance. Constant vigilance, indeed. Harry Potter has the issue that it's uh, extremely hetero-friendly. Uh, <laughs> uh, it completely ignores uh, any examples of homosexuality. The movies uh, are extremely white. And, um, and let's face it, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's an issue that all these things are there. Yeah. So anyway, those are my thoughts <laughs> on this. Um, one last call out. One last call out. But on the other hand, JK Rowling is also a badass. Uh, yes. who I think JK Rowling is at least aware of these issues and yeah. is listening. Uh, there's no excusing the backstory that she came up with for magic in America that completely erased native cultures. Yeah. That was bad. Oh. But I, I do at least feel like she's listening. Um, I want to give her the chance to prove herself. But I don't know. As I said, we don't leave you on any easy answers. We leave you – if we've made you angry on this cast, then good. Maybe that's what we need to do. But we want to thank our patrons who we hope are still happy with us. Yeah. Yeah, we got we – got, uh... A massive spike. <laughs> we we do, y'all. Please, please, please tell us what you think. Our big news is we are now on Google Play, uh, yeah. by by request, I should say. By request, uh, by the request of James Champion, we are on Google Play. Thank you for suggesting that. We uh, we you know, listen. We listen. Yeah, we we listen. Um, we want we want to make it easy. We want to make ourselves easy to find, easy to access, easy to listen to. So that's yeah. So that does help a lot. <laughs> so um, let's let's thank our patrons. Yes. Uh, thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Sean from Totally. Thank you, Bridget. Uh, thank you, uh, Nathan. Uh, thank you, Barack. Yep. Thanks, y'all. You can find us at thefilmroom.org and. I don't know what we're going to do next time. It just occurred to me. I don't know what next week's episode is going to be. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, I guess we did kind of put that one off. Uh, yeah. But you know what? Okay. Let's, uh, you want to see about not putting it off? You want, you want to see, I, I'm, I'll send a message to him and say, okay, 10 a.m. next Sunday. Oh, uh, you mean for uh, Soderbergh? Well, let's let's get that clear. Let's get Soderbergh. Let's in. get Soderbergh. Yeah, I'll, all I need to watch is, is Solaris, and I'll be good. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'll send the message, and we're good to go. Um, awesome. All right. Well, let's do this. And so, yeah. Till next time, y'all. Till next time. Thanks for listening. You can be mad at me. Tell me I was born to quit. I was checking. Go. Or you could just freak with me Set it again, let the numbers roll I hear that about you, baby It's back when the city's cold Don't ever look at me like that It's just in the daylight, no just in the daylight, no. Oh.